you have for us on today. We pray, Lord, that it just takes root in our life, that it be made manifest in our life, that it is real to those that see us, that they see you. And so, Father, we just ask, Lord, that your presence, Lord, just, just be with us. And we just love you, Lord, and we just honor you. And we are forever mindful to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today is our fifth installment in our study in the book of 1 John. We're traveling through our series, and it's entitled, The Person, The Fellowship, and The Practice of Love. And as you may remember, the Apostle John in chapter 1, he teaches us that Jesus is as real as it gets. You remember that? The pastor taught us that? Jesus is as real as it gets. He talks about his first-hand experience with Jesus Christ, the Apostle John. He lets us know that he heard Jesus for himself, that he saw Jesus with his very own eyes, and that he really watched Jesus carefully for himself. So John, he lets us know right off the bat that, hey, Jesus is as real as it gets. I heard him. I saw him for myself. And not only did I see I looked upon him. That means he studied with him. He observed Jesus Christ for himself. So he knows who he's talking about. Not only John witnessed him but, and observed Jesus Christ, who actually is the word of life. So John, he writes to the believers, he writes to us so that we can have real fellowship with others and with God, which produces real joy in the hearts of the disciples. John the Apostle, if we remember, he goes on to inform the believers that God is light and that we have fellowship with God and each other when we walk in light. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and that he is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John reassures us as believers that we have an advocate with the Father and that advocate is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And finally, leading up to this point, we learn that the loved one, the love that we possess, the love that we, yes, us the believers, the love that we possess towards one another, that's our badge. It's the badge that we possess. The way that we treat each other signifies that we belong to Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And Jesus told his disciples at the forge, he says, they will know that you belong to me by the way you treat each other. That's our badge. How we treat each other. How we fellowship with each other. And that fellowship that we have with each other shows our fellowship with God. Amen? Can you turn with me to 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 and if you don't mind we're going to read it together amen first john 
chapter 2, and we're going to read just 15, 16, and 17. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. And you guys know I like for us to read as a family, amen? So let us begin. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Amen. When I read that, it kind of reminded me of an old folk tale that is not true, but it kind of reminded me of this old folk tale that I read about, and it's about a swan and a crane. And there was this crane, and the crane was in the marsh area, and he was eating snails. He, this, this, the crane loved snails. And all of a sudden, there was this swan, this beautiful swan that kind of swooped down and was just observing this crane. And the crane, as it was eating the snails, took a moment to say, where did you come from? And the swan had said that it had came from heaven. And the crane was like, heaven? What is heaven? And the swan, to his amazement, was like, you don't know what heaven is? You don't know about heaven? Well, let me tell you about the good news of heaven. And the swan began to tell the crane all about the glorious works of God and that the, we're, that's where uh, people go to live with Jesus Christ forever and the streets are paved with gold and there's no more weeping, there's no more crying and that is a place where we go to see some of the loved ones that are gone on to be with the Lord. It's such a glorious place. It is a place where there's just, where we can worship God, our creator, who created us. And the crane was beginning to look kind of in, intuitively, was like and asked the swan this one question. And he asked, well, are there any snails in heaven? And the swan thought about it and said, no, there are no snails in heaven. And the crane had the sad look on his face. And he says, I can't go to that place because I love snails. The crane says, I love snails. So I don't want to go to that place. And so it kind of reminds, us, reminds me a little bit about this. And the title of this sermon is, Choose Your Love. Choose Your Love. In the scripture that we just read, the text, it begins with a simple command. What is that command? Do not what? It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. It starts off, John starts off right there with the command. It is the only command in this text, so therefore it is the main point. And he admonishes us, do not love the world or the things in it. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Everything else in the text is an argument or it is an incentive. It gives us a reason why we should not love the world or the things that is in it. And leading up to this, we've talked about fellowship with Jesus Christ. And we talked about how we can have fellowship amongst each other and how that is our badge of who we are. And now we're going to talk about how we have fellowship with the world or with God. Fellowship 
with the world or with God. So now this famous appears to be pretty straightforward, right? It says, do not love the world or the things that are so straightforward, right? But then yet, if we continue to look at it, it, for me at least, it began to ask, bring up more questions. And one might say, wait a minute. Doesn't the scripture says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes him shall not perish, but have everlasting life? You begin to think, like, okay, what's going on? What in the world does he mean by the world? And isn't it Jesus that he's called what? The savior of the world? And hasn't John himself, he, he taught us, he teaches in this very epistle that Christians are to love and to love others in this world. So what in the world is John mean by the world? And so that's what we have to really Figure out, what is he talking about? God so loved the world, but we're not supposed to love the world nor the things in it. So we have to ask these questions. Now look with me in verse 16. Here, John further clarifies this command. Verse 16 says, we are not to love the world or the evil, the godless world, or, or, and the things of that world. But what exactly are these things in the world that we are not to love? Well, John, he answers that question right away in verse 16. He writes, the things of these words, they are what? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions of life. Those are the three things, these three, these three worldly attitudes or interests or ambitions and actions that we are not to love. So the first thing that he identifies here is the desires of the flesh. We might use the desire in a positive sense. We've used desire in a positive sense. We, we might say, I desire to be a better husband, or I desire to be a better wife, or I desire to be a better student. I desire to work more in the ministry. And so des therefore, desire can be used in a positive sense. But here... The word you hear is almost used always in, about in a negative way. The desires here is used in a negative way. It is not, it is a morally negative connotation. It's morally negative. And some of your translations, especially in your NIV, it may use this word, the cravings. And perhaps some of your translations may have your sinful cravings. And this is what we're doing. The word used here, desires, is not used in a positive sense. It's used in a negative sense. And so perhaps a way to get the word processed is perhaps a, the sinful cravings of the flesh. The sinful cravings of these things. And so therefore the word that's used here is used in a negative sense. And so here is the same temptation. When I first read this, I thought about this, that it went all the way back to the garden in Eden. And Jesus likewise in the wilderness. Can you turn with me to Genesis chapter 3? Genesis chapter 3. And I want us to kind of look carefully at this. Beginning in verse 6. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. And it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a 
delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave to her husband who was with her. Here the devil, the devil uses the things of the world to, to separate man from God. And you know what? Today we're faced with these same things. The devil uses these things or the world or the, the attitudes that we have. They're used to separate us from the Father. And it is our natural inclination to like the material things of the world. Let's be honest. And who doesn't like nice cars, nice clothing, the best of cars, the best of watches, and things of that nature. Nice 401k accounts and plenty of reserve money in the bank account. Jewelry and things of that nature. Those things are naturally inclined to us. And so therefore... We have this command to not to love the things of this world. And Jesus himself was tempted by the devil. In Matthew 4, it says this, in verses 8 through 9, it says, The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world and their glory. And he said to them, this is what Satan, he's going to say to Jesus. He says, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. But what did our Lord do? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He closed his eyes and he quoted the word to Satan. And he resisted the devil. He, he refused to desire those things. And he said to Satan, be gone. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him and only you shall serve. And so Jesus himself was not even immune to the temptation, but Jesus stood on the word and who he was. Of, uh, he did not succumb to these desires of the flesh, this pride of possessions. How many of you guys have, let's be honest, how many of you guys have received something? You worked very hard for it. I mean, you labored for it. You did extra hours and you saved up for these things and you had enough to purchase this thing and you finally got it and you got the bill of sale, you got it and you bring it home and you kind of sit back and says, look what I got. Look what I have done. How many of us have done that? And we loved what we've done. We loved what we labored for. We did whatever it took. I mean, we struggled. I mean, we did whatever it took to get it. I mean, we sacrificed our time, our talents. We even put our children off on the side. But hey, we'll get back to that because I'm focused on this. If we're honest with ourselves, I think we've all in some type of way have been tempted to be lured into this trap of having this strong cravings and desires of the world. And the next point that I want to make is that we either love God or love the world. We can't do both. He says, love God or love the world. My brothers and sisters, we lived in a world of images. We cannot drive the highway or ride the train or get on the internet, open up emails or television. You know, we, we can't go anywhere, you know, the workplace. And there's all these type of images that are before us that are fancy to our eyes. Notice I say our. They're fancy to our eyes. And our fallen eyes, sometimes they become vulnerable to the wiles of these worlds. We become 
fond of these things because we're just so inundated with all these different images. The advertisers, they're the masters of this. They know how to appeal to the egos and the desires of mankind. And we're greatly tempted to fall into this trap. So it's sometimes it's hard to avert our eyes. It's hard to turn away from these sinful images. Yet we must not indulge our eyes. We must not follow in the footsteps of our first parents. We must not follow the first Adam, but rather we must follow the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ, the righteous. We must resist the devil. For scripture tells us if we resist the devil, he will what? I'm going to say it again. If we resist the devil, what will he do? So we must overcome his allurements. See, when scripture tells us that Satan is the prince of this world. So we must close our eyes to those attitudes and ambitions that takes us away from the vision of God. There is another thing that we must resist, and that is the pride of possessions. We kind of talked about it. The idea here is that the braggart, you know, the man or woman, you know, they boast about the things that they have. You know that person who brags about it you've seen on Facebook. Hey, I've done this. I got that. You know, on Instagram, all the different things. Everybody is fascinated by showing off the things that they have and the things that they have accomplished. And they're prideful of these possessions. They actually love these accomplishments more than they love Jesus Christ. So now there's nothing sinful about possessions. The possessions themselves are not sinful in themselves. That was to make that a lot of the early Christians made. And sometimes Christians do it. They think that material things, that they're bad with, uh, in themselves. And no, the possessions are not inherently sinful. I mean, even the Bible assumes that we're going to have possessions. Well, it tells us, thou shall not what? Steal. So it assumes that we're going to have possessions, but we should not, you know, so, so that's the, the possessions themselves are not the sinful things. It is that pride of possession that goes on, that love that we have for these things. While the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes revert, refer to desire to the have and what you do not have, the boastful pride of life refers to the sinful pride over what we actually do have. It is desired to be better than others so that you can glory in yourself and in your accomplishments. There is a proper sense, of course. You know, there, there is nothing wrong with, you know, you wanting to do your best in school or to be a good steward uh, at your job. But it's easy to forget that he gave us everything that we have. And to start boasting in our achievements and our possessions, as though we attain these things by our own intelligence or hard work, it's easy to be like King Nebuchadnezzar. You guys remember King Nebuchadnezzar in, in, in Daniel chapter 4. He says this. This is what he says, Nebuchadnezzar. He said this in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. You can read it for yourself. Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. He says this. He says, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence? by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. Look at that. King Nebuchadnezzar boasting about what he has accomplished, what he has got, but God humbled him quickly. God immediately drove him out into the 
field and to live as a wild beast until his heart was humbled. Until his heart was humbled. And Nebuchadnezzar, he said he reasoned, but he came back to his senses. And then God restored to him the things that he had. So we battle these temptations daily. And sometimes we often fail. But John's point is this. If you go on yielding to the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life as your way of life, we are not maintaining the love of the Father. Rather, you're maintaining love for the world. Worldly people, what they do is they kind of wallow in it. They, 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 they sense and they search after and they find after these things. But as children, we should fight against them continuously. And further, scripture teaches us that God gives us all things richly to enjoy. God gives them to us. Possessions are God's gift to us. But just as we dare not steal others' possessions, so too must we not boast about what we have been given. Some Christians kind of like talk like the people at the Tower of Babel. They talk with their heads in the heavens and they're making a name for themselves. Seems like that's what a lot of the politicians and people that are, they're seeking to build a name for themselves. So we must reject all boasting lest the bricks of our own vanity become tumbling down, just like the Tower of Babel. But why? I know some of why, 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 why are we not to love these? You know, why, you know, why are we to love, not love these things? Thankfully, John, he handles this very question. He tells us why we should not love these things. And he answers this with two reasonable reasons as to why having these things is wrong. The first reason is that such attitudes and actions are incompatible with God. At the end of verse 13, we read this. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then as we read, it says, all that is in the world is not from the Father. The world and the things of the world are incompatible with God the Father. John essentially says this. You cannot have God as your father and still have the world as your brother. You cannot be in an intimate relationship with both God and in an intimate relation with the things that we talked about of the world. You cannot love all that God is and have to offer and to still love the world and all it has to offer too. You can't have it both. God says, if he is not first, he will not be second, third, or fourth. God is first, he's second, he's third, he's fourth, he's fifth. He is all because he owns all. <laughs> Scripture tells us that we cannot serve both God and money. We can't have it both. God would not take a second place to no one. Do you think... Don't think that we can have all the world has to offer and all God has, has to offer. I believe when Jesus said this, one cannot serve two masters. One cannot serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love, what? The other. Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
And here John says the same thing. You cannot love God and the world. You cannot love God and you cannot love the world at the same time. God demands that you love him with your heart, with your mind, and your strength. So the first reason we ought not to love the world is because such a love is incompatible with God and that our love should be towards him. The second reason is that we ought not to love the world and the things of this world because this world and its values are transient. That means they are passing away. They're temporary. And thus, they are headed for what? Destruction. Scripture is clearly, what profited the man to gain what? The whole world and to do what? lose his soul the world is passing away along with this desires so just as there's no there's no future for this world and this world system the very earth in which we stand today there is no future in the worldliness that many times we can love there is literally no future to clinging on and loving these and the things in this fallen world because it's all going to pass away King Solomon, King Solomon, very rich, had lots of possessions. He realized this. In scripture here, in his wisdom, we have the book of Ecclesiastes. And he shares about all the vanities of the world and the pursuits of it. As Ecclesiastes, he talks about the vanity and all these things. In the second chapter of that book, he admits that he tried cheering himself with everything. He tried everything that is still popular today. Laughter, alcohol, houses, gardens, servants, money, music, a harem filled with hundreds of beautiful women. People still try to do that today. And yet to him, it was like chasing after the wind. He realized that it was like chasing after the wind. He accomplished all these things. You know what? I, I made some observations, you know, just kind of like in life. You notice how many of the really rich and the famous, they, they have, it seems like they just have everything that they want. They have the cars. They, they can travel all alone. They can have lunch in Rome and dinner in Miami if they choose to. But a lot of them, when you, when you talk to them, they're not happy. They don't bring true happiness they place their love their whole essence into the pursuit of these things and when they finally get it there is no long life lasting truth to it no long lasting you know effect to them and a lot of them commit suicide they they're 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 they're, they're taking pain uh what are those pain drugs they become psychotic and a lot of them they do things just to swivel it all away it's passing away along with this earth or chasing after the wind. So the world is passing away along with these desires. But there is an alternative to loving and living for this world. Let's look at the end of verse 17. It says, but whoever does the will of God abides what? Forever. And that's how this passage ends. The negative command that we read ends with a positive plea. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. So why would we 
as heirs of an eternal world in heaven, concentrate all of our interests, our desires, our passions, our fondness and ambitions on so much effort and been loving these things, and it's all going to pass away anyway. Rather, wouldn't it make sense to do the will of God and live what? Forever. So there's a future in that kind of thinking. There's a future in that kind of lifestyle. The one who does the will of God abides what? Forever. So that last reason for me would be good enough of a reason not to love this world. That reason alone, that gives me enough reason not to love the, this world and its desires. So we, like we said before, what does it profit a man to gain the whole wide world but to lose his soul? And I hope and I pray this afternoon that this message has helped us as it has helped me to know the answer to that question. We cannot love the things of this world and love God at the same time. Yes, we do need some of the resources that we need to sustain, but God is our source. I didn't get a chance to articulate this completely to my wife this morning that almost kind of put me to the test. Seems like every time when I have to do something great for God, say like, say like okay, Pastor Scott, we're going to see what you made out of. Uh, here we go. And I'm going to end on this testimony here. Some of you may know that I drive trucks. And this one account that I have, I am responsible for maintaining the docks and making sure that the trucks leave and arrive from this, from this sugar manufacturer. It never shuts down. It goes 24 hours a day, 360. It doesn't care about Thanksgiving. It doesn't care about Christmas. It doesn't care about none of that stuff. They supply sugar and starch to the entire world. And so therefore, they need someone there to make sure that as those trucks are loaded up, that they get to the warehouses. And so therefore, if you let it go for too long, they're not going to have a place to put the product, and thus it'll start to overflow, and then there's going to be a big mess. Well, today, this morning, a couple of hours before it's time for me to get relieved, I get a phone call. And they say, uh, they call me Eddie. They say, Eddie, uh, we don't know what you're going to do at 6 o'clock. I said, I know what I'm going to be doing at 6 o'clock. I'm going to park that truck and I'm going to head home to my family and go serve the Lord the rest of the day. That's what I'm going to do. Well, they says, well, the new guy who was supposed to relieve you for some odd reason, he can't come. And it's too early to try to get someone else to come relieve you. So you got to stay. I says, no, because I told you from the beginning that I will work every other Sunday and the Sundays that I do work at 6 o'clock, I am gone. That truck will not have this body in it. I told you that since day one. And you said, yes, you agreed to it. And so the implication here was, if you don't stick around, Eddie, guess what? This nice account that you have, you can kiss it goodbye. 
That was the insinuation. You know how they kind of talk. Well, if you do that, you know that this will happen and this would happen. And here I am, I face with this, this conflict. This is a tool for as a revenue for my family, but I made a commitment to the Lord. And without any hesitation, I said, I'm going at six o'clock. Guess what? They found someone to come in by six o'clock. Because I told them that at six o'clock I'm leaving because I'm going to my family and I'm going to worship with my family. And guess what? I really didn't care if they said don't come back. The old Eddie, the old Pastor Scott, would have been like, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, I got to do this because I know if I don't do this, Deja ain't got no shoes tomorrow. <laughs> but I just thank God in his sovereignty that he loves me and that I was able to come here feeling good about the decision that I made. Because I love God more than this world. Why? Because God's forever. This world is passing away. Let us pray.